Hello, and welcome to another episode of Funnelocity, the B2B podcast that takes a close look at the different stages of the sales and marketing funnel and addresses the challenges and opportunities faced by the people tasked with the delivering results. I'm Enrico Brosio, president of Market One and your host. Today, we're focusing on the top of funnel, specifically on the BDR role and the challenges around building and running a successful BDR function within an organization. To help drill into the detail, I'm lucky enough to have my special, a special guest today, Tom Stearns. Tom is an inside sales consultant, trainer, and coach. He helps B2B sales leaders and their teams get to the next level. He's typically brought in when sales teams are struggling and it's unclear to leadership why. After working with Tom, sales teams deliver and the organization has the recipe and all the ingredients to keep growing. Tom, welcome to Funnelocity. Thanks, Enrico. Great to be here. Well, Tom, I must start by saying that this is a fantastic topic. It really brings, uh, it brings me back to why Market One was founded uh, as, you know, as, a, as, an, as an agency. Uh, we provide uh, BDRs on an outsourced basis to our clients. Uh, we do that globally. So, uh, and everything we've done over the past 20 years has really been to drive better conversions from marketing into sales. And so... Uh, I really look forward to to talking and a bit more about this topic with you today. Uh, but before we go into it, uh, you know, tell us a bit more about yourself. You know, what drew you to the world of sales, consulting, and training? What gets you out of bed in the morning? Uh, thanks for asking, Enrico. Yeah, so I love working with uh, organizations and helping them fix. You know, what's not working sounds really broad. Very general. It's obviously focused on sales, a heavy focus on BDR, uh, BDRs and their function. But what, the way I approach it, maybe that is, uh, um, I don't know, different than any other consultant, but the way I approach it is that, you know, it's looking at the organization and trying to create the right BDR function for them. Now that could be, hey, you need to outsource it or it needs to remain inside, but you need to do all of these different things. So I try to look at it holistically, which may include demand gen or all the closers involved in that. But to make that function succeed, it's surrounded by a whole lot of other functions. So that kind of, I'm passionate about that. And then the flip side of that is, maybe not the flip side, but the addition, additional side to that is that uh, the individuals, those BDRs are, um, great people to work with. And I get a real, like, I get a lot of excitement, I guess, when I see a good sales rep, a good BDR, um, a good person just get better, improve, and the sort of satisfaction in coaching them to the next level. So I'm trying to look at it, what's the ecosystem they need to work in to really succeed, and then what are the individual skills that that person needs, whether it's the manager or the BDR. Um, those two things really just keep me passionate about the job that I have right now. That was probably a long answer. Interesting. No, th thanks for that. And as we, I guess before we going drilling into specifics of, you know, what are the different aspects impacting uh, different teams impacting BDR, I guess we should probably define the role a bit more. So could you share with us, how would you describe the BDR role within the organization? Yeah, great question. So within an organization, a BDR, and 
By the way, a lot of companies sort of mix up their acronyms. You may hear an SDR, you may hear an LDR, an ADR. There's lots of terms for this. BDR traditionally stands for business development rep. They're basically somebody that is either um, working inbound leads and qualifying those leads to be handed off to an inside sales rep, an account executive, a field rep, it depends the organization, but it's basically being handed off to the closer. Uh, BDRs also are working completely on an outbound basis where they are um, calling out on leads or they're calling out on accounts, again, to get some interest out of the prospect, qualify to the definition the organization is determined, but usually, you know, you, you would probably define this better than me, Enrico, but the, the top of the funnel, that, that it, it's reaching the opportunity stage where now it's, uh, an experienced salesperson can take that customer through the rest of the buyer's journey to sale and future advocacy. It's interesting. Well, you use the term kind of, um, they're outbound, right? They, they're calling on leads or they're calling on accounts. And I certainly think of them it's, uh, as calling leads. These are typically hand raisers or perhaps marketing generated responses in this day and age, maybe a scored lead coming through out of a marketing automation. So an AQL, um, and we at market one would refer that we actually refer to that as, as inbound follow-up or response management. Um, and that's very much a kind of more of a high volume uh, based uh, activity. And, and then absolutely there's, there are BDRs or SDRs, as you say, that are outbound uh, focused more, that are more account centric, you know, working account, mapping it out, profiling it uh, and trying to uncover, um, you know, the, what are those business pains and business challenges that are, that are going to drive that account to perhaps purchase a solution from said company. Uh, and then it gets handed off to, uh, you know, to the to the to the sales team, and I, I almost think, and and you know, we've had this conversation before as to kind of you know the shape of the funnel, and in some ways, I feel like BDRs operate at that top of funnel, which is which is not funnel shaped at all. Often, <laughs> right? It's it's probably this kind of always on. It's more circular, and um, and and their job is to get a prospect, a customer into that's you know that's that's actively in uh, engaging in a buying process into this into the sales funnel for the organization. So that's kind of how I think about it. Yeah, I think that's a good definition. Um, absolutely. And now, so what, once we now having defined what the what the BDR <laughs> role is, where do we think it should? Where does it sit in the organization? So. Who do you see owning the BDR role? And this is kind of a leading question. So, you know, and what are the pros and cons do you feel depending yeah. on who owns uh, this function? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. And by the way, there, I don't know that there's a right answer to this. I think, you know, fundamentally it's the mindset of the organization, the organization, how they work together um, and meaning they demand gen marketing and sales I tend to uh, think that this is a role that sits in a sale in the sales organization when it's inside the building and uh, in source, if you will. Uh, um, and the reason I think that that has worked well in the organizations that I've um, worked with is that it 
is a uh, sort of a progression into a sales role. So a lot of companies, when, when they're building out this function internally, are hiring younger people um, that are entering the sales force. They want to become salespeople. Um, it's a uh, part of the sort of ent entry into uh, an organization to ultimately have a career in sales. Not always that way, but the role itself is, you know, uh, often calling on leads, having conversations, um, a lot of, you know, very um, specific one-to-one -one email, uh, social engagement, all these ways that we have to kind of get into an account is very like becoming a salesperson. It's learning how to have those conversations and qualify uh, is, is definitely be where you, where you develop the foundation to then become a closer, a seller. So the skill set feels more sales. Now, um, that doesn't mean it can't be run by marketing, but a lot of, not run by, but owned by marketing. Like I don't fundamentally think it can't be. Um, and by the way, the, uh, the, the less amount of silos involved, the better, right? So I'm also a bit of an advocate of, you know, sales and demand gen, the demand gen function of marketing being as tightly integrated as possible. So there's like one cohesive unit working. And if the more cohesive that is, is that it's a big blurry line between uh, the team generating leads and the team qualifying leads and then handing off the sales. That's like hopefully one kind of mush of, uh, of uh, you know, um, sales and marketing, if you will. But what do you think, Enrico? <laughs> You know, this is it's an interesting uh, issue, and and it's and it's hard not to kind of think about this and also consider sales and marketing alignment because ultimately, it's in some ways, it's really this role that aligns the two organizations. And I and I hundred percent agree with what you said earlier, which is it doesn't really matter. I think as long as the organization has clear, you know has defined, has very, you know, clear definition of, you know, lead management roles, um, SLAs, uh, and they adhere to those. Now, the, tr the, the reality is most organizations don't. Um, and so uh, I would say, like you, the majority of our clients, this role does you know, kind of roll under sales. It's probably uh, less than 30% of the time I'd see it. I'd say, I'd say it's under marketing. Uh, and that poses some challenges, uh, you know, for the, you, you've mentioned some of them, you know, the fact that, you know, initially the BDR is probably joining that organization with the hope of quickly transitioning to a inside sales rep or a field sales rep. Uh, and so in some ways it's a, uh, it's, you know, when, when sales owns it, there's a lot of turnover in, in, in this role. Um, that's challenge number one. Challenge number two is, they also become glorified sales admin, right? For their favorite inside sales rep or or, or uh, AE, where they're you know they're you know they're working uh, with uh, with the BDR uh, in setting up appointments, maybe changing appointments, um, or just tasking them with updating entries in CRM. <laughs> uh, and when it's not owned by sales, when it's owned by marketing, uh, I see that a lot of those. There's, there's a stronger SLA, I think, with the marketers who are, you know, they're looking for things like, okay, when I generate a, 
um, uh, a response. However, the they might define that response. I want to ensure that my D, my BDR team actually you know processes that in a timely fashion uh, and doesn't cherry pick uh, and and gets through all of that inventory, so to speak, and 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 leaves no stone unturned. Uh, and as I as I spoke about before, when we're you know when where the BDR role is really top of funnel. It's more of a circular, not, you know, these prospects aren't in the sales funnel just yet. Uh, to me, it's really about helping the demand gen activities, the marketing activities convert, uh, or sorry, identify and convert uh, those, those kind of top of funnel uh, contacts, if you will, into the sales funnel. So, you know, I guess I'm throwing a lot of things out there. I, like I said, the, the, there's, there's, to me, there's no uh, better or worse as long as there's a well-defined uh, SLA for this team. Uh, and I just, I just find that when sales owns the team, it, that they can quickly, um, you know, turnover goes up and as they get sucked into the, into the inside sales position or AE position. Um, and they get become, they become those kind of sales admins, you know, CRM admins or appointment setting admins and whatnot. Well, you know, it's, it, we, sorry to interrupt you. Um, it's worth kind of maybe, taking this apart a little bit too, because there is the, I mean, maybe it's called the SDR function, right? The sales development role, which is the outbound prospector, the one that doesn't have a lead. And uh, a large amount of the work I do, um, and maybe where some of my bias comes from, Enrico, when I think about this, is depending on the organization, many times the organization is perhaps struggling to get qualified inbound leads, or they're account-based, right? So they're they're, they're focusing a, uh, an individual, an SDR, BDR, um, uh, or a team of those at a specific account they want to penetrate. Uh, and marketing is hopefully marketing, generating some inbound um, or some interest there, but then you have the individual that needs to get a meeting at one of these top 200 accounts in their territory. And that role of like, you know, calling out on it, um, trying to get in there without necessarily a true hand raiser or enough data. I work a lot with those individuals. So, uh, you know, I, I, I feel the, um, uh, the challenges they have and they, they have to be, you know, very close. You know, they're often teamed up with an account executive, an inside sales rep, a field rep. It depends how your pod structure is or your territory structure is. Um, but where it's often when there's not enough inbound, also how do we augment that? Absolutely. Yeah, no, that those, you know, call the most account-based SDRs. Um, that's a really interesting role, and particularly in, in this day and age where ABM has become such a focus for B2B organizations and both sales and marketing teams. Uh, it's through their ABM programs and ABM strategies that, that I think are finally driving you know, true alignment um, in, in, their, uh, in all the activities. And the, the SDR role is, is critical in that. In, and I feel like in, in ABM, it's, all, it's almost the, it's the tactic. Certainly, when it's a one-to-one or one-to-few, um, it's you know, from a, from an ABM campaign perspective and program perspective um, that account-based SDR role becomes critical uh, and to that to that to the success of that ABM program. Uh, so it's it's an interesting, uh, I think, evolution of the role. 
uh, and and it's certainly something that we see. Uh, and, and we also see clients outsourcing. It's a lot easier to outsource that type of activity because you can ring fence certain set of accounts that are perhaps white space accounts uh, and, and give those to an outsource uh, partner like a Market One and say, okay, Market One, you own the segment or these you know, 200 accounts, um, you know, go and develop some uh, some account profiles and opportunities and, 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 and engage with these accounts and, and drive next steps for our, uh, for our sales teams. So I guess when we, when we talk about these different roles that SDRs play, Tom, what do you think, you know, what, what's the skill set that you're looking for uh, in recruitment? And I guess it probably depends if it's more of the inbound or outbound that we've, that we've been discussing, but how do you think about, you know, recruitment, training, skills, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Great question. Absolutely. So yeah, there's some key some uh, attributes that I think um, are pretty consistent in the industry that you're looking for, for this role. One is um, uh, a competitiveness, if you will. Like when we screen for this role, we're looking for someone that is definitely competitive, right? They want to be at the top of the leaderboard. They're willing to put the, the, the reps and the effort in because it is a lot of reps, right? It's a high discipline, high activity uh, um, uh, uh, role and there are skills involved in there. So uh, competitive, not to the point of cutthroat, right? So you're looking for, hey, we want someone that's competitive, but is also a team player, right? We want the team to rise first and then your individual performance is absolutely a part of that. So it's a bit of a blend. Uh, curiosity is one of my favorite uh, attributes and it's kind of industry-wide everyone's kind of screening for curiosity curiosity is is so useful because if you are say you're getting you know dozens of leads dozens of companies or you're tasked to call on companies and individuals um, if you're genuinely curious about what someone has to say on the other end of the phone or genuinely curious about how their business works, it serves you very well. It helps you do more research, come more prepared, but then really just uh, wanting the answers. You, you listen better, you ask more questions, like what does that mean? And that creates great conversations. And a lot of you know, qualification is really the art of the conversation. So curiosity is, is definitely oh, uh, another one, which is my favorite. I couldn't agree with you more. Couldn't agree with you more. And, if, and, if, and if, to me, it's, it's absolutely the ability to ask, question, ask good questions, mix of open-ended and you know, closed-ended questions, but and that curiosity and, and listening skills. Um, of course, rapport, building rapport uh, and having empathy is, is, these are all important in order to establish uh, that initial kind of that 30 seconds, <laughs> some level of rapport with the person you're speaking with. But then it's, it's quickly about listening and, and, and asking the right question. It's not pitching. And this is interesting because often, you know, clients, when they're outsourcing this type of role to, to, to us, you know, they, they think that we should be, you know, perfect sales people and be able to pitch at a technical level uh, all their wares. And it's, it's really not about that. If anything, we're, we're like a mix of researchers and customer service reps as the way probably bring those two skill sets together i almost never coach or train on pitching like it it is oh you know there's a value proposition you need to present but it's like 
There's none of that that really matters, frankly. And even in great salesmanship, I mean, you win deals asking great questions. And, you know, yes, you have to present the product and there's a pitch involved. I get that. But it's about listening and caring and, and wanting to know what's going on in, in, the, in the buyer's world, right? How can we solve their problem? And all that is about curiosity and empathy and, and listening. Um, it really is not about like, hey, you know, pitch me this product. It's like, no, ask me questions about it. You know, ask me questions about me or my, my challenges. But, you know, obviously they have to be calibrated to what you're selling. But, yeah, it's indeed, it's indeed. And you, so you, you said the word qualification. And so I think any good BDR, SDR is, will, will have to know how to qualify an opportunity before you know, he or she hands it off to sales or sets up a call for a sales rep. So let's talk about that. How do you think about qualification and the you know, relevant qualification criteria? I know it's kind of changed over the, over the years uh, and it probably depends, but what's your, what's your take on qualification? Boy, that's a great question. So qualification uh, is different for, you know, each company. So like anything we're talking about, right? This is, uh, I don't believe one, every business is the same, but there's a lot of similarities. So qualification is, you know, we, who are we, who is our buyer, right? I mean, this should be defined by the company, the marketing team, the sales team, like one, you can, you should be able to qualify a little bit before you even call somebody, right? So are they in the role that we would, uh, that needs our service or our product? And, you know, that's the easy one. But then the qualification, say, to book a meeting, to create an opportunity, um, the level of that, uh, depending on the rep's tenure, by the way, I think there's a scale here, right? And this is a part of the nuance of training people in this role is that as they get more experience, you will expect their qualifi qualification skills to go up. Um, so, but that said, if you're outsourcing, right, this is a definition. So the definition is, is generally around, are we talking to someone that has ex, you know, expressed a need to use our product? Can't be we forced them to show up for a meeting. We did enough to get some interest. We determined that they had a need that they vocalized or identified. And that... Uh, you know, they're in the function that can have influence for the purchase. So again, this is like, you know, I think for an outsource organization like Market One, you've probably got like pinpoint accuracy on every kind of lead that needs to be passed, right? But there is nuance in there. And I've experienced this with some of uh, clients we share um, that the, uh, you know, how much is enough and sort of, Sorry, I'm, I'm dancing around a little bit, but typically it's, it doesn't always have to be the decision maker, right? Like the, we need someone in the buying committee. And as we've seen in the days of COVID that, you know, the, uh, the indecision has gone up. So the committee, the decision by committee is broadened. So there's lots of people. So, hey, is this a qualified individual to hand off the sales to have a conversation? Well, did they articulate a challenge that we solved for? Did they express enough interest to want to really show up for that meeting? Or did they just yes you and say, I'll take that? Um, 
And then some of it is just firmographic stuff, right? Hey, it's a company we can sell to. We look that up. We've got a title that makes sense. You can look that up. But the skill is the nuance on the phone to draw out that, yeah, we do have that kind of challenge. And boy, that's interesting. Uh, you know, we struggle with that all the time. I'd be interested in taking a meeting, right? You, if I heard that recording, I'd be like, all right, that's, that's qualified and he's got the right, or she's got the right title. And it's in a company that we could do business with. That's a qualified, might be a meeting, might be an opportunity. Again, it's typically like the meeting that I think is the handoff in, uh, in the industry mostly. Not always, of course, you know that is pretty Indeed, different. indeed. <laughs> well, you didn't mention, you didn't mention Bant. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> no, I, you'll never hear me mention Bant, especially in a handoff meeting, right? By the way, and I'll give you like one rant on that, is that Bant, you know, I don't hate Bant, but um, I want to get rid of that B, right? Right. It, uh, my, one of my mentors, Peter Wayman, um, is, uh, he, he got me into the advocacy of faint, right? Financial authority. So, you know, our job as marketers, as sellers, as BDRs, like all the people that are trying to sell something basically, is that, you know, we're not typically selling something that they've got a little budget over here. Like, oh yeah, we got a budget for your software that we didn't know exists for a challenge we weren't even sure we had. But yeah, I guess we could. So financial authority, getting to someone that has influence over that, that uh, could create the budget, right? That's what matters. So it does drive me crazy. It's like, well, they, I asked them if they have budget for this. It's like, they've never heard of the kind of technology we're selling. How could they have a budget waiting for us? Our job is to influence it. Wow, we should invest in this new technology because it's going to help us really get to the next level. So we'll create a budget, right? And then authority, yeah, we're talking, we already we mentioned that, needs and, and timing, right? I, I didn't mention timing because I think, uh, uh, on a on a typical, you know, initial interaction. That, yeah, you know, um, if they if they haven't got a budget set aside, say you're selling a nick. Sorry for the rant here, Rico. But say they're selling a knickknack that yeah they have budgets for. We need to move them from the competitor to us. Then yeah, maybe you might be looking for a budget and then timing. Like when's your financial calendar up? When do you spend your money? Maybe that stuff makes sense. But for a lot of solutions, and, and I'm coming from my area of like a lot of SaaS solutions, I work with a lot of c customers that have very complicated solutions that often buyers don't even know they need. So the actual timing of when they're going to roll out something like us, that's not going to exist either. Um, so, sorry. So you've said, well, first of all, <laughs> it's refreshing to hear um, uh, a colleague of ours say that, you know, Bant, you know, do want to, it's a four letter word. Uh, and it, and in so many ways, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I think there's a time and place for strict criteria on uh, qualification criteria. And typically it's when you're, when you've got high volumes of inbound for a relatively straightforward product that's well-defined and there's budgets for that product. And maybe they're, they're it's probably less than $25,000 is the average order size. Um, so, you know, as you, as you kind of get into that, if you play in that realm, then I think, you know, a good qualification is important to handing it off to sales, but that's often the, like yourself, a lot of our clients are dealing either in, uh, you know, 
perhaps even net new technologies where they're to your point they're they're Clients don't know that there's a there's a solution out there for the for the challenge or problem they have, or they're dealing with with deal sizes that are in the well into the six if not seven figures, and I think as you as you kind of go up that the size the deal size you've you've absolutely got to reduce the qualification uh, criteria and make it more around what you've said, and so it's not it's not all about uh, BAM, but it's more about making sure you call it the buying unit, you know, authority, you can die, you can define authority relatively, you can be relatively flexible. The key is to make sure you get that right with sales, not marketing. Um, and, uh, and then need, right? What's the need and what's the compelling event, right? So what, is there an urgency, is there urgency behind that need or not? And you kind of want to get a gauge as to how, you know, how, how painful, <laughs> right? How much pain is the client in? Uh, and so, you know, authority and need are, are really important. Um, but, you know, back to the marketing and, and sales uh, discussion we had earlier, marketing will always say, regardless of what campaign we're running, even if we're calling into large complex accounts where the deal sizes are, are you know, to the six or seven figures, they'll most likely always ask for band. And then when we have our kickoff and we bring in sales, sales is like, well, no, no, it's not about band. It's really... Here's what I'm looking for. Help me map out the, the buying unit. Help me understand what, what are the key, where's this account? Like, are they dealing with, are they going through big, I don't know, M&A uh, transaction? Are they just trying to ingest a massive acquisition they've made? What are their priorities? And are there, certain, are there solution areas that we can support them on, uh, you know, in the, in the future? And, and ideally is, you know, if they want to help eventually write an RFP if there's going to be one. And the problem with a band is if you get to the point where it's actually been band qualified, it's too late and the sales rep knows it. And so they'd much rather be into that opportunity earlier. Uh, and so we're, we're, you know, it's always, and it's, it's a tough one because, you know, marketing wants us to do it one way and sales wants us to do another. You know, that's it. God, such great, great. Thanks for adding all that to it. Cause yeah, uh, so much complexity to it. And, but you hit on a point there that I think is really important is that that's where the relationship between sales and marketing really matters and the individuals that are qualifying leads, because it's, if, if it's a silo and there isn't a discussion about the handoff point, what really matters, what we're trying to accomplish and we're not cohesive and aligned, then you know, one team is making an assumption. Marketing might be like, hey, we're paying for this outsource agency. We expect band because we're, we need to get what we're paying for. And the sales organization might be like, hey, I just need, I need someone to open the door. I need someone to like, you know, get me in there and, and I want to do the rest. But then you have some sales organizations that are highly transactional, like you said, where it's like, hey, we, we've got too much to deal with. So we need more qualification. So it's such a moving scale. And the only way I think really to get it right is to have those conversations with the right people, right? And uh, both organizations inside, out, outside um, really need to come together. Because I see it all the time, right? The, the leads got passed in and the sales team said these were garbage. Uh, and then the, and then the, um, the opposite is marketing is like, hey, we keep giving them our leads. They don't do anything with them. It's like, well, you, you actually haven't been to the sales building, say pre-COVID. <laughs> you haven't been to your sales organization in over six months. When, oh, we have a weekly conference call. I'm like, yeah, but do you really listen to the, the reps? Do you really get to know what the managers are looking for? Like that, that relationship 
matters because there's so much nuance in that handoff. Um, and the bigger the organization, obviously, uh, the more complex it gets and the more SLAs and details, all those things, you know better than I, because you deal with all of these global organizations. I'm usually, I'm in, I'm, I'm on the, uh, you know, on the floor with the sales team and the marketing team trying to make these nuggets work. So I feel, Tom, I feel like we could go <laughs> on and on about this, uh, the sales and marketing relationship, the, 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 uh, the alignment, the handoff, the handback, maybe that's a, a, pod, a podcast in of itself. Cause there is so much there to unpack. Um, I, I do want to turn though to the, the topic of the, the tools of the trade. So the BDR, you know, what's in your experience, you know, is there some technology that every, every BDR needs, you know, how do you think of tech for the BDR? Yeah. So um, I, I want to start that by saying that um, I like the model of mindset, skill set, tool set, that that order matters, that ultimately the tool set, uh, the tech stack, all the tools that we give BDRs, that we give our teams, if they don't have the right skill set and before that the right mindset, you're going to waste a lot of money. Right? It's an oversimplification. So I, I do want to start there because I do believe that for most of the BDR teams that I work with, BDR SDR teams, and I do want to add that back into the, this definition, Enrico, because um, again, many of the teams that are uh, outbounding um, uh, and inbounding, it still matters. I think that some of these, these tools are necessary, and that's obviously you need a CRM, right? You need company, most every company has a CRM. You need some kind of CRM, so you have a single source of truth for you know, the, uh, the data around your accounts and your contacts. Um, you definitely need that. And then beyond that, in today's day and age where we need to reach people and whether it's an inbound or an outbound, you know, having a, uh, a phone number, uh, an email um, that you can reach someone at is important. So third party data um, is useful. And that is anywhere of a combination from, you know, tools like Lead IQ, Zoom Info, Seamless, like sometimes those, those extra databases that are going to give you additional contact information, I think are very, very useful, especially if you're in the role where you have to go find people and outbound or find your way in. We can talk about that related to COVID in a little bit. Um, and obviously LinkedIn. I don't know that Navigator is always necessary. Like I don't have a Navigator. I have it through clients, but I use the free version of LinkedIn and do a pretty decent job. I it's think, quite revealing, isn't it? it? Even in and of itself, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah, so I, I think those are, those are good. There's two other pieces of technology that I'm huge fans of. One are these uh, sales engagement platforms, SEPs. These are things like SalesLoft, uh, Outreach, uh, Groove. So in that function, if you, you know, again, depending on how much work you need to reach that person, they help the efficiency of that. But the last one is, uh, you know, um, forget the category that was created for this, but uh, conversation intelligence um, software. Uh, so this is, you know, the, the ability to analyze, listen to and analyze recorded conversations. Gong, exec vision, chorus, um, or internal systems, you know, where you just record. Because is that for training purposes or is that for 
It's it's for to training. Inform. Yeah. I'm sorry. It's for training, coaching, um, overall performance improvement, and uh, also sharing of information. So these tools have come so far that uh, one is that I, I got into them for coaching purposes. So 10 years ago when I had my own sales team, I would spend the weekends at my daughter's swim meets listening to wave files and typing up notes on coaching notes for my reps on, in a Word document uh, because that, that's the ga- that is the game film. You know, the conversation lives in the call, which is, you know, the only efficient way to really study that is through a call recording. You can always, the old school way, remember, plug into a headset next to a rep and listen to them. Yeah, you can do that, but it's, uh, it's massively inefficient. So these technologies have enabled you to coach, you know, to play the, the call faster. But they've gone the next level where there's all sorts of data in these calls, trackers. You can add trackers. It's like, hey, I want to see filler words that my team uses. And you can program the keywords right into the, the technology. You can say, okay, you know, Bill used 85 keyword, uh, sorry, 85 trash filler words in 20 minutes where Steve used four, right? So how do we kind of clean that up? Um, so I'm really like into the weeds of that, I think is, uh, is, the, is the next level. Um, and that's where, I, that's where mostly I, I, I get reps to improve. We listen to game tape together, which is their call recording, and we coach, and then we study patient scores, which means how often do you in- interrupt your buyer? How, long do, how, how much dead air happens between the buyer finishing what they say and then you saying something? So that's, there's a patient scores, there's a talk, listen time, all that stuff is really geeky, but those are the little knobs you can, you can tweak. And I imagine, you know, your teams around the world uh, are, you know, listening and being like, okay, we, we need to kind of help this person get better. How do we do that? We listen to some of their calls. We read their email, you know, things like that. So sorry, I've spent a lot of time on no, this. No, that's super interesting. <laughs> and you've, you've covered a lot of ground there. And I, I guess there's two areas that, just spring to mind that we've seen companies maybe not necessarily work well not do a great deal with is one is around data third-party data specifically intent and i'm just curious if you've seen your clients use intent data in a clever way with with this role uh it's getting better right um i can't say that i've seen any client crushing it uh, with intent data, but it's getting um, better and easier. A lot of these third-party technologies like Zoom Info, you know, are serving it up within their platform. Um, there's Sixth Sense and Bombora, I think. There's all these other tools that are starting to really make it um, uh, easy for organizations and reps to learn what that means. So a lot of this, a lot of this kind of information that would tell an individual maybe who they should call, when they should call has been around for a while, but the adoption of it and the use of it. And I think, you know, your organization is better at it. You know, it's where, where the outsource really can come in um, uh, really uh, and work effectively for a client. Well, it's interesting you say that. I mean, where we see it as much further top of funnel, maybe on, on digital programs. Uh, and using the as as a way perhaps to to trigger some, for example, a, a email email campaign or target an account through LinkedIn. Um, 
ad campaigns so or ABM programmatic media, programmatic media campaigns. So we would potentially use it differently. That's why I was very specific. I was curious if within the role of the BDR, SDR, whether you've seen it used successfully. And I, you know, we're not, we're not there yet. I haven't seen it. I've, I've, I've spoken to some sales leaders that seem like they're getting a grasp on it down to the rep level. I've personally not worked with a team that has um, made full efficient use of intent data, but I certainly see the value and I'm trying to, trying to work it into workflow. A lot of what I do is trying to understand the workflow. Like how do you get everything they have to do? How do we get, how do we efficiently get, get these things happening? And it, it takes a while to kind of work them into the day in and day out. So on to my next question, which is around, I guess, global, um, from a, from a perspective of building out, you know, BDR teams, uh, that operate on a global basis. Have you, have you worked with clients that have done that? Have you seen some of the um, you know, challenges that, that, that have come up around, around that specific topic? Uh, yeah, I mean, there are definite obvious challenges when you attempt to go global, which is the language um, barrier. If you wanna penetrate countries where you do not, say, say you have an organization that you're largely internal, you're based in the US, and now you need to, or would like to work in countries where you don't speak the language, um, immense challenges and, uh, you know, around the language barriers, often looking, you know, some organizations will look up, look at an acquisition in another country where maybe they have that skill set or they will, you know, set up in another country. Uh, but it, uh, it really shows that there's a, can be a great benefit to, you know, an outsource organization that has the language capabilities already. Um, and often that's what I see. Said, hey, we want to tap into this, this market. We need to do it quickly. Well, to stand up um, anything internal in another country takes a long time when there are a lot of organizations that already have, uh, you, know, you know, native speakers um, and individuals that, frankly, like uh, I think when you get outside of the U.S., depending on where you are in the world, there's a lot of sort of career-based individuals that just do the function, the BDR function, and you can tap into those a lot easier than trying to stand up something yourself. And they're quite good, in my experience. But I think you have a lot of experience there too, Enrico. <laughs> well, we, we've certainly seen clients, you know, enter new markets. So the, the example you said, uh, you know, U.S.-based, you know, fast-growing tech startup looking to break into Europe, often they, you know, the land in the U.K. first where the language is not an issue, but quickly they're going to, they'd like to, you know, cross the channel, so to speak, and, and go to France and Germany and, and uh, other countries. Um, and I think the language becomes, I guess my, my, my view on that, it, it, I'd say it depends. I think if it's an inbound, if you're inbound response handling, then it's okay to continue doing that in English, in English as long as your website is in English. From a customer experience perspective, the, you know, so someone visiting your website, it's in English, they expect perhaps to have a call with you in English. But those are hand raisers. Uh, however, if you start thinking about outbound, then that absolutely has to be in local language uh, of the market you're going into. And, and it's important that you have, again, back to what we talked about before, building rapport. Uh, often you're calling people that are not expecting, you know, necessarily expecting your call. So it's, it's you know, imagine doing that in a foreign language or in English. It's not going to work. 
uh, and, and so what we do to help clients on the language front in order to make those outbound campaigns uh, also more effective um, from, a, from, a, from, a, from a costing perspective is that we'll put together teams that are you know, fractional you know, BDRs that are, you know, fra- that, that are one FTE, if you will, but that speaks you know, four or five different languages. And we just put a team of, you know, we draw on you know, 0.2 of a resource, uh, language resource for French, for German, et cetera, et cetera. So you get these, this concept of fractional uh, you know, BDRs or SDRs. Uh, and that's obviously something that you can do if you outsource, uh, because then we can redeploy uh, those individuals on other campaigns, other, other client engagements. But it's not something you can do. It's not easy to insource a fraction, a fractional resource. Now, obviously, you need to make sure you keep the person busy. So if you're going to add a language, whether it's you know, German, French, Italian, Portuguese, you're going to have to make sure that that person is, is fully utilized. Uh, if if they're in source, and of course on an outsource basis, you can you can absolutely engage uh, kind of fractional headcount, which is kind of an interesting concept. So let's take it, let's talk a bit about reporting and you know what KPIs to you know, to to track um, and the ones that kind of what are some of your favorite ones uh, when you. Th- think about this role, whether it's inbound or outbound? So in, let me start with outbound because I think it's a little bit easier for me to, to begin from there. And then a lot of that carries into the inbound. So the con the basically the, the, the one metric that I probably focus the most on is the, conversation to meeting conversion rate. So if you think about uh, um, whether you're an inbound or an outbound rep, that if I have a conversation with a prospect, how do I turn that into a meeting? And some of the industry on the outbound side, the industry number there is uh, around 23 to 25% is really the gold standard. So one in four conversations I'm having I book a meeting and that criteria again of going back to the beginning the meeting criteria is dependent on the company, but that's a good sort of industry number to look at. Why that matters on so many different levels is that uh, it tells you so much about um, the reps, uh, uh, both their skills on the phone, but also on who they're calling, right? So if, if their conversion rate is low, then you can, try to identify like, oh, um, are, are we even talking to the right person? Are they targeting the right person? Are they talking to the, you know, the wrong person in the organization? You know, they're just trying to get meetings, so they're not looking at the leads they have and say, okay, this person is uh, um, actually looking for a job here. Why are you calling that lead? It should have been disqualified in the first place kind of thing. But mo- mostly it's around the art of the conversation. If, uh, if, if you're not able to get to that meeting this is where the going back to the call recording is. I, I'll, I've worked with some reps in on average first month to three months is anywhere between like six and 11% converting and then coaching and skills developing training, you know, all that kind of stuff creeps them up to 18, 20, 23% so forth. So a lot of that development is right there. And 
that conversation is, and why it's great to, you know, if you're a, a person in that role that may eventually become in sales is that if you learn to have those kind of conversations and generate, listen and qualify, it serves you through the rest of your sales career. So that's a big number. Then the meeting hold rate, rate is another big one, right? So like, hey, if we're booking these meetings, but only 50% are showing up, that's another sign that maybe it wasn't qualified. Maybe you actually didn't generate interest. So, and if you look at that as a funnel, sort of a rep funnel, you can go one up and say, you know, in the, this is more of a, a cold caller outbound function, Enrico, is that, hey, if, if we're making 60 dials a day and the industry average connect rate is say 6%, that's people that answer the phone, 6%, um, that will lead to like 0.7 meetings a day booked if you're booking at like 23%. So there's a whole little funnel there and you can go back, you can go to the top. And then if you're not connecting at 6%, this might be the, uh, the question you ask is like, okay, uh, what number do we have? Whether inbound or outbound, we're getting inbound leads and all the inbound leads have a receptionist number and we can't get to the buyer, right? So now we're going to email and they're not replying to their email or anything. So that kind of connect rate uh, is an easy one to, to, to look at a sort of data source and time of day you might call. Like, you know, there's lots of data around what time of day to call. So those little weedy numbers come back to ultimately how many meetings we're going to book, which is often how reps are, are paid or past opportunities, you know, or meetings and then opportunities. So kind of breaking down those individual numbers um, then support the effort around a level of quantity is important, right? We all know quality is better than quantity, but frankly, if there's not enough quantity, quality can be meaningless. Um, I'll often talk to leaders. I'm like, hey, what's the activity time? I'm like, well, we don't care about activity. It's like, I don't really either. I care, care about the result. But if, if Jennifer is making, you know, 60 calls a day or has a certain amount of leads to call on, is getting through those, you know, uh, and Bill is getting, is making 20 calls a day. Bill's conversion rate is better, but if you look at, you model that out, statistically, he's never gonna make any money, you're never gonna get your number. So sort of taking those individual numbers and setting a target is, is an activity target, but it's really around self-discipline. It's like, how do we get more efficient? How do we get, uh, you know, do we time block? How do we organize our team? All that, all that little weedy stuff really, really matters. Um, and often, you know, the, you know, I've, 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 sorry for the long rant on this, but I worked with a team once within like 30 days. I'm like, okay, these reps are not incentivized. Right? They're getting paid on a percentage of the deal closing at the end of the year. And these are folks that you want calling on inbound leads and you also want them prospecting. So I said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to change the commission plan to make it booked on meetings. Oh, wow. Look, activity went up <laughs> and, <laughs> and all the numbers went up, right? It went from like, really, it was like the first six weeks to the second six weeks was staggering. And all, all it was was around one little tweak to the knob. So, you know, reps, you know, you can't make reps do activity, but if you show them the results of those activities and that like, hey, you're getting better having the conversations and now you've gone from 15% uh, 
conversation to meeting rate to 20, that means you're going to make another thousand dollars this month. You know, oh, okay, I'm going to keep trying to learn. So those, 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 you know, weedy numbers are kind of what I really care about. Uh, sorry, Enrico, that was a long answer. No, that that's, question. I mean, I didn't, another that's passion. fantastic. And I can see the, <laughs> the value that you uh, inherently had to your, you, you know, you add to your clients. Um, no, brilliant. Awesome. Uh, and it's instead of our, what was actually going to be my next question is around how do you, how do you ensure you can drive those through incentives and, and, and that you've got the cause and the effect. And uh, um, no, that was, that was a great tie in. So thank you for that. Uh, so my last question is, you know, we, we're recording this, uh, this podcast during a global pandemic that's really kind of turned upside down how businesses operate. And in some ways, you know, the BDR role has always been tough, right? Getting people live on the phone is not an easy feat. Uh, and now it's just become even harder, right? With people working from home uh, and, and perhaps not having, you know, mobile, mobile numbers, et cetera, et cetera. So how do you, you know, what's been your experience with working with BDR teams uh, in a pandemic? Uh, how are you supporting them? What kind of tips and tricks are you giving them to, to make those connections and, and, uh, and help them achieve the KPIs that you just, that you just shared with us? Yeah, such a great question. So I, I've had the benefit of retaining clients and staying in close contact with a couple of former clients um, throughout this. And it has really been like an adventure, but a rewarding one because teams are succeeding in this environment. You know, some of the early things that, that I saw needed to happen were around, um, you know, industry targeting. Right. So smart companies, uh, and this is beyond the BDR function, but, you know, within it too, is that like, who can we help right now? Obviously, if you're selling to restaurants back in May, um, you probably weren't doing so well. So if you had, you had, you know, tons of people pointed at restaurants, but you also sell the healthcare, then if you weren't making some pivots, to different industries, then you probably were suffering more. Within the industries that you're selling to and your clients, um, companies that made swift moves on identifying their buyer's challenges right now, as opposed to like, hey, we've got 10 years of research on what we do and this is what we sell. It's like, no, those organizations, again, supporting the BDR that said, okay, what really matters to the, who we're selling to right now and can we help them and then yes we can in a different way than we used to or with a different focus on a particular message a different aspect of what we do so a messaging tweak worked and then in terms of the day in so the the real stuff that has helped bdrs so to answer your question specifically those other two things are necessary but um we're about getting very creative I've seen a couple of teams go from very heavy phone and semi-templated email, semi-templated to heavy amounts of personalization, personalized video, intense research coming like with, I've seen some of the greatest emails ever written by BDRs working inbound and SDRs working outbound that they were kind of forced into because at first they couldn't talk to anybody. They only had maybe had receptionist numbers. So that kind of creativity of embracing research, getting very personalized to breakthrough 
was has has helped teams succeed. That said, uh, you know some of these data sources released mobile phone numbers very quickly, um, and 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 teams that had more direct lines that some of their buyers were you know forwarding to their cell phones working from home um, rebounded pretty quickly. So maybe like a month to six weeks without you know connect rates dropping down to two percent. And then by July, back up to five, six, seven percent. Um, so, but often, you know, tougher buyers. They're like, we have to delay. We don't have the budget, right? We don't, you know, we can't do that. So, kind of working different objections within that. Like, oh, we're not trying to sell today. We're trying to help you plan for the future. Like, trying to make a lot of different pivots rapidly between data, creativity. Um, that's what's working, and it's a moving target. So the the managers that studied this stuff day in and day out and said, okay, let's market marketing rolls out a bunch of webinars. We got something new to maybe help our clients with. And then people got burned out on, on virtual webinars because all the video they're in. So, okay, we got to make another pit. So, so yeah, I I've seen some reps do very well. I've seen everybody kind of at least hit a speed bump. Um, but there is still a tremendous amount of success going on out there in the, in the BDR. SDR fund. Yeah, and I, from our perspective, I think I can echo a lot of those similar tactics. There's certainly no silver bullet. It's been, but it's a mix of, you know, getting the right, getting access to the right data, using different channels, right? Not just the phone, but mail. You mentioned mail, in mail, um, show me, you know me, emails as we call them, make them relevant, and uh, and even switchboards. You know, switchboards remain open, so we can still sometimes get uh, transferred out to someone's cell phone. Uh, and so sometimes the switchboard operator uh, is, is working as well. So it's just a question of, you know, trying them all, doing all those sequences and, and hopefully getting through. And if you're leaving the right message, uh, whether it's a voice message or a, you know, email or in-mail, it typically gets a, it gets, you know, it gets the right response. Either it's, oh, I'm not the right person, but speak to, uh, my colleague, uh, so-and-so, uh, who's researching that topic right now. Uh, and, and so we get the referral and that's, as you know, in our business referrals are, are, are worth their weight in gold. <laughs> yeah. And it's never been an easy job. Like you started this question off with, so it's, you know, it, it, it it's a grind, right? You got to stay, stay at it. Um, and it certainly is. But Tom, I must admit, today was not a grind. I loved, I loved this chat. This has been awesome. Really enjoyed uh, speaking with you today uh, about the BDR role. So thanks for joining Funnelocity. Uh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me, Enrico. I really enjoyed it too. And maybe we can uh, keep this conversation going soon. Yeah, we can d- dive into some other topics. Uh, keep that uh, for a future podcast. So, well, let me say to my listeners, uh, if you've enjoyed this podcast, you can find more episodes and learn how to subscribe for future updates at marketone.com forward slash Thank you very much.